I want to continue talking to us this morning about preparing for overflow. For those visiting us for the first time, our theme for next year, as Pastor Ad has declared, 2024 to be a year of overflow. We've been talking a little bit about preparing ourselves and positioning ourselves for overflow. Every time in Scripture, if you read your Bible, there's been many stories, and we've looked at a few the last few weeks. There's always stories, analogies about how God prepared everybody for overflow. Sometimes we become a little bit skittish, and I know there's this sort of, um, you know, sort of thought process in the modern-day church. It's the, it's the prosperity church. It's the prosperity preachers. It's the prosperity gospel. If you give $7 in the next seven minutes, you're going to get seven this and seven that. I'm, I don't believe in that at all. I think it's, uh, I say it carefully, I don't think it's, it's not biblical. And sometimes people hype things, and I'm not going to hype you this morning. But I want to talk to you from the Word of God today and tell you that throughout Scripture, when Jesus was on the earth, He prepared His generation for overflow. And every time he prepared them for overflow, we see that uh, 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 planned overflow or, or, or purposeful overflow is always preceded by purposeful partnership. And I want to talk to you this morning and say to you, you know, are you in partnership with the living God? Are you serving the living God in the way that you should? Because the Bible is very clear that there is a partnership that God has with man. And God always looks for a man or a woman in order to have partnership with. And so before God pours out provision or before God, God pours out all these things that sometimes people want to take too, too far to the one side, to the extreme, God always looks for partnership. And I believe this morning God wants to speak into people's hearts this morning to prepare us for overflow, but also to challenge us in our partnership with God. You know, God is not a God with a big book and a big uh, stick and he's got a big black book and he's writing all of our mistakes in that book. Now the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever shall believe in him shall have everlasting life. Verse 17, for God had not sent his son into the world to condemn the world. So if you're hearing a gospel, if you're trying to understand Jesus Christ in the form of a fearful, judgmental God that's going to beat you on the head with a big stick, you haven't heard the gospel. The gospel is a message of rescue. The gospel is a message of goodness. It is the goodness of God that leads man to repentance. I was saying to somebody yesterday that if you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, the only time that Jesus ever called his, his father God, the only time in scripture, you read your Bibles, the only time Jesus referred to his father as God was when he was being judged for the sins of humanity. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, Jesus cried out to not his father, but at that point in time, he stood before a God of judgment. And God judged his son for every sin of humanity. And I want you to hear that this morning. Because sometimes we, we, we refer to our father, God, as God, as this entity out there, this distant God who wants to punish us. Now I want to tell you this morning, there was one moment in time in history when Jesus, our Lord and Savior, stood before the God of judgment. And he was judged for all of humanity's sins. So that you and I can now, Paul writes, and he says, we now can come boldly to the throne of grace and cry out, what? Abba, Father. He no longer is this distant God. He's a good God. He's a Father. And once you are a son and a daughter of God, once you have crossed over, once you have accepted Christ into your heart, the Bible says He adopts you in as sons and daughters of God. And then you are heirs of the promise. A son and a daughter is an heir of a promise. When you inherit a, a, a son or a daughter, when you adopt a son or a daughter, or when your children get married and they get sons-in-laws and daughters-in-laws, they now become heirs of the promise of that family's inheritance. And we are now heirs of the promises of God. Because we are sons and daughters of God. When you are just a distant 
friend of God or you're a distant person or God is this distant entity, you have no right to an inheritance. So when we talk about overflow, we must understand it's not like we're begging God for provision. It's because God is our Father and it pleases God to bless your life. It pleases God to give you good things. Now people have a battle with that because they don't fully understand the adoption into sonship. And when you are a son and a daughter of God, my children, I've told you before, they don't grovel in my house for food. They don't have to come and crawl, uh, grovel lowly to me and say, Oh, fathereth on the coucheth that watcheth, the rugbyeth, world cupeth, victoryeth, can I eateth, some foodeth in the frigeth. They don't say that. My children just eat my food. Why? Because we have a good relationship and we should have the same relationship with God our Father. God is a father. He's your father. You are his son and his daughter if you've accepted um, his son, Jesus Christ, into your heart. Are you here this morning? So we talk about overflow. It's not like we're begging God for something. It's that we have access into whatever is our father's is now ours. You have an authority. I give you the keys. I give you the authority. You can walk in the same authority that I walked on the earth. And so we had a look at our scripture verse for for next year, Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within us. So Paul the Apostle writes and he says, whatever measure we give God, and we had a look at the fact that God is a God who cannot be contained. If this is our measure, if this container is my measure of faith, the Bible says the word overflow, the dictionary says the word overflow is to fill something to capacity until it exceeds its limits. So we see throughout our Bibles, whatever they gave God in faith, whatever container, whatever object, whatever it was, their, 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 their faith or it was their, their possessions, whatever it was they gave God, He not only filled it to capacity, but He exceeded its limits. It overflowed in every facet. And you have the right to walk in the overflow blessing of God. Can you say amen this morning? And so we had a look at Peter, give me your boat. Peter was a fisherman and Jesus wanted to advance the cause of Christ. And the minute you partner with God in advancing His cause on the earth, I'm not talking about becoming a Bible-bashing Christian where you go around and judge everybody and you're just a and you're to know. We are there to throw lifelines to people because of the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have to understand that, uh, that when Peter, when Jesus approaches Peter, this guy's a fisherman, he's a Jew, he doesn't understand kingdom principles, he doesn't understand purpose, he doesn't understand uh, salvation, he understands nothing. He's raised up under the Jewish understandings. And here comes this person, the so-called preacher, the so-called rabbi. There's this man, he says, give me your boat. And sometimes that's what God always comes to every human being. And he says, will you give me access into your life? Will you partner with me? in some area of your life. Peter's a fisherman. We know the boat symbolizes his business. It symbolizes his career. It symbolizes his life. And the Bible says, Jesus says, push out just a little bit. Not a major instruction. Just push out a little bit from the shore. Whenever God calls, He doesn't overwhelm you with all of these complexities of what people think Christianity is. He'll just give you a small instruction. Will you just push out a little bit from the shore? And what does Peter do? He says, of course, Jesus. Not too sure who you are, really, but you can use my boat. And the minute he gives God access to his life, partnership ensues. And Jesus starts to prepare him for overflow, which he's not aware of yet. You see, if you only serve Christ for overflow, it's a very shallow relationship. God is not a casino uh, God where you have to pull the, the slot machine of our provision and uh, have to try and manipulate God through whatever it is. No, God is a good God. He's a father. Our God is a good God. 
He's a good father. And the Bible says he leads us into quiet places and into peaceful places. He's a good shepherd. He's the doorway. And once you walk through the door of Christ, the Bible says you now have access. And so Peter gives him access, unbeknowing of what's going to happen in the future. But he says you can have access. Many people resist giving God access for whatever reason. Sometimes it's religious mindsets. I was raised, I was raised religious. I was the angel in the Christmas play every year. My mother had to make wings with wire, and I tripled across the stage as an angel. Flutter, 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 silent night. And, uh, you know, you heard that with the, with the song Silent Night came from is when Joseph and Mary had their first fight, and then Mary went quiet, and that's when Silent Night ensued. So... It's a joke. So I used to flutter across the stage, angel, angel. And then a few years later, that same little angelic host used to run to the church, and I stole the wine at the church because I was a little sinner. True story. My friends, we used to run out of alcohol, and I said, listen, when I was an altar boy, we used to drink real wine. I haven't been on for a while, but I'll put my name up on the list. Went to the church at 16, put a few bottles of church-anointed wine into my backpack, and we got smashed that night on church wine. Pastor, how can you say that's blasphemous? I'm not making light of the church. I'm saying when you don't have an encounter of who Christ is and you're religious, you sometimes can serve him in religious forms, but there's no life there. And so I never knew who he was really because my parents meant well, my family, my, they meant well taking us to Sunday school. I don't say it's wrong, but I say every man has to get to a place when he has to ask himself the question, who is Jesus to you? Because I can't answer that question for you. I know who he is to me now, but I didn't know who he was then. And every man... And every woman has to have a day when they answer themselves that question. Who is Christ to you? But if he's simply just somebody who's going to provide me with money and houses and cars, it's a false doctrine. It's a false gospel. He's first a father, a good father. He loved us so much that he sent us his son. That whomsoever shall believe in the sacrificial blood sacrifice of Christ shall become an adopted son and daughter of God. And we now have a ministry of reconciliation. Where we reconcile man's heart back to God. And until you haven't encountered Christ for yourself. Who do people say that I am? Many people have opinions. Ask social media. It's full of opinions. But there comes a day when every man and every woman will stand alone before him and they'll have to ask themselves a question who is Jesus to you when I encountered that day 31st of May 1992 I had an encounter in my parents lounge when a man preached and he made a statement and the statement resonated with my heart and I said I have to change I can't keep living this life and I gave him access into my heart little did I know I'd be in Cape Town little did I know anything I knew I didn't know much I just knew I needed to change and when I gave him access into my heart, everything changes. Peter gives him access into his boat. And he says, because of that small little bit of sacrifice for me, he says, I'm now going to continue working. Because the Bible said, it is the good work he begins in us. You might not be doing good things, but he's not stopping his good work because of your bad things. It's a good work he began in us. And he may continue that good work until completion. That when we stand before him, one day we stand what? unafraid of the day of judgment. Why? Because Jesus, our Lord and Savior, was judged by God, His Father, at one point for the sins of humanity. People battle with it. I must, I must. No, He has, He has. And I say, I must, I must, I must change. I must first fix myself. No, you can't fix yourself, my brother, my sister. You have a nature of Adam in you. And the Bible says that nature, when I was young, 
one of our staff celebrated their children's birthday this week. And I said, you know, we celebrate with everybody's children's that are, children that are growing up. But you can be this parent who can sort of, you know, love your kids and say, well, my children wouldn't do that. It's not what your children would or wouldn't do. It's the nature in them. They were born of that nature. You were born of that. I was born of that nature. That's why God comes and He sends His Son and says, I'm going to come to bring a difference to society. And that's why we preach the gospel every Sunday. The foolishness of the preaching of the gospel. To those who are perishing, it's foolish. To those who are being saved, it's a, it's a sweet-smelling aroma. It's a fragrance of salvation. And people harden their hearts towards this message. Not because I say so, but because sometimes they're uncertain of who this God is. Because we paint Him as this God with a big stick and a big black book. And they're afraid of Him. And the Bible says, no, we come boldly to the throne of grace. Because Jesus, our Lord and Savior, took every form of punishment upon Himself. He made Him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. It's something that's... It doesn't, we can't fathom it. Paul says, I, I'm still trying to work out. I wrote three quarters of the New Testament, and I'm still trying to fathom. How can this God use my life when I murdered Christians, when I was this deceitful human being, and God comes and He loves me unconditionally? He says, I battle to understand the length and the depth and the breadth and the width and the height of the love that God has for me. I can't fathom it, Paul says. It, I can't, my human mind can't comprehend it. And sometimes we come to places in our lives when we think, God, am, am I worthy to be here? Because the Bible says the thief comes only but to steal, kill, and destroy. He will tell you this morning as I'm speaking right now. He will tell you, you're not worthy. He will bring up every remembrance of your past. He will tell you everything that you're not good at or everything that you've made a mistake in. He'll remind you of your past. And that's why Paul the Apostle writes in Philippians 3, he says, what, forgetting the things that are behind. I don't live life looking in the rearview mirror. I look li live life looking into the, the windscreen of my future because that's why your rearview mirror is a lot smaller than your windscreen. But the enemy wants us to look behind us. This Lot's wife, pillar of salt, just stood there, didn't know what she should do, shouldn't do, afraid of this God. And I want to say to you this morning, you don't have to fear God. The Bible says Jesus came to demonstrate this love. This love has now been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. God didn't pour out His love into your heart in little drips and drabs. He poured it into excess of overflow. So when you stand before anyone out there in the marketplace and you ask them a question, the love of God will come out of you. It will flow out of you. Not because you put it there, because God poured it there. He put it into our hearts. And I say this to us this morning, because overflow is not a thing of a, a physical destination that the world might teach in a motivational session with an American guy coming down and charging you thousands of dollars, the seven steps to this. And I'm for those things because they are natural things we should learn about life. But what, what happens when you have everything? What happens when you have the big house and the big car and you still feel there's a void in you because you're not living a life of purpose? You're not living a life of partnership with God. There is something greater to do with your life. Your fingerprint is unique. One out of eight billion. You can be identical twins and you can have two different fingerprints. You will have. Why? Because your external features might look the same, but your purpose is unique to you. That's why this young generation is so suicidal. I'm not hammering that this last while, but I've been talking a lot about that this year. Why is this young generation so suicidal? The highest suicide rate in the history of mankind. Because they struggle with an identity crisis. Who am I? And sometimes when we don't know the answer to that question, it's all about who am I. That wasn't the question that Jesus asked his disciples. He didn't say I'm asking who you are. He said, who am I? Who is Christ to you? 
Because once you know Christ, you'll discover your new identity. And once you discover your new identity in Christ, the Bible says everything changes. And now God gives you a kingdom purpose. Peter, will you give me your boat? I'm just a poor fisherman. I'm toiling all night, Jesus, trying, trying my best. Give me your boat, Peter. And the Bible says he sits down and he teaches from his boat. And as he teaches from his boat, Peter must think about Peter for a moment. Yes, this guy claiming to be a preacher. He's from the tribe of Judah, and only the Levites can preach. That's already his heresy in the Jewish faith. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Sometimes God calls you, saves you, appoints you, puts you into a place in your family. And they say, my vizirio, akindio, I know Aiden. He was a little alcoholic there from Kimberley. I know Aiden. He was this, this. You can label me according to the old nature. But when Christ calls us and he places his spirit in us, it's not you that chose yourself. It's not you that calls yourself. I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. And as I knock, I ask you, will you give me access? Will you give me your boat? And Peter gives him his boat and he says to him, cast out a little. And I imagine Peter sitting listening to this guy going, wow. Every time this man opens his mouth, I've never heard this before. All I've heard is this God who's distant behind the veil. There's a certain group of Jews who can go behind that veil, the Levites. It's an outer court. It's rituals. It's regulations. It's rules. It's all these heaviness. It's blood sacrifice. It's all these things. And then this one guy who I know is not living a perfect life, but he's now the high priest for the year. He goes behind the veil and he stands in the presence of God. One guy. Out of three million people, I've got access to God, one guy. And he comes out and says, this is what God told me. And then he tells the nation, this is what God says. And if it's good news, they blow the shofar. That's why sometimes in your Christian walk, it'll be shofar, show good. Until you make a mistake, and then shofar, show bad. I must, I must know, he has, he has. One guy. God says, this can't work. This is not going to work. And for the love of humanity, not for the hatred, not for the judgment, not for the curse, for the love of humanity, for you, me, you, me. He sends His only begotten Son. He's generous in His giving. God gives His Son. And when he gives his son, the Bible says he didn't send his son to condemn you. He sent his son to save you. From what? From yourself. From yourself. Not so that you can die and be a worm, so you can gain a new identity. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Anyone who is in Christ. The Bible says, Peter gives him his boats and he says, Gee, Jesus, that was an amazing sermon. He teaches from the boat. He brings wisdom. When you're in partnership with God, there is a peace that surpasses human understanding. There is a, there's turmoil in the marketplace. There's turmoil in the politics. There's turmoil in your family. There's turmoil in your heart. And yet, why do you look so peaceful? I don't know. I just have a peace. Why? Because it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. He brings us the peace. The Bible says when he's finished, he says, Peter, now, thank you for giving me access to your business launch out in the deep for a catch. But Jesus, you understand, I'm the fisherman. I know the rules. I know the regulations. I'm clever. I understand everything. I understand, Peter. But I'm busy preparing you for overflow. I want to show humanity who I really am. Because everyone under the Jewish customs and the Jewish laws knew me to be this distant God. And it's an external rules and regulations. Notice, the Ten Commandments of Moses are predominantly external. 
thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, external. And Christ comes and He takes this external regulation and He says, I'm now going to transfer it to an internal relationship. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And the Bible says when Christ comes and He resides in us, partnership. He says He gives us now the promise of the Spirit. No human being on the face of the planet, I don't care what His name is. I don't care how much money He has. I don't care if He comes from South Africa and He's the wealthiest person on the planet. If He does not know Christ, He's just got intellect and that intellect will die with Him in the, in the grave. But when you have knowledge and wisdom because of the Spirit of God, you are much richer than any person with natural wealth. You can sit in your house. You can drive in your car. You can walk in the cool of the day. You can be on the beach. And heaven can speak to you. It is a privilege that the, the religious system doesn't tell you because it's all these you must, you must. No, no, my brother. He has, he has. And as many as received him, Listen, as many as received Him, He gave them the right to become sons and daughters of God. And now we have the promise of the Spirit. This place where it surpasses human understanding. This place where I can walk and it doesn't make sense. And I can ask God and He shall be able to what? Do immeasurably more. Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that I ask or think. So when you're thinking thoughts of, of, of defeat, he says, no, my brother, I'm going to change those thoughts of defeat and make them thoughts of victory. Why? Because we're not fighting from victory. We're fighting, for, or fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. I told us last week, I said to us, did you see the World Cup rugby? We are now, if you're South African, if you've got a South African passport or ID book, you are a World Cup rugby champion. And how much rugby did you play? Zipper. Oh, you're from South Africa, yes. Oh, you guys are World Cup champions. Yay, hey, see how cool is And how much rugby did you and I play? Zip. We had heart attacks on our couches. We didn't play rugby. Why? Because they sent a team to go and gain the victory for us. And we put our faith in that team while they were playing the tournament. And they gained victory for us. And now the tournament is finished. And now we are World Cup rugby champions. It can never be taken away from us. You can't not be World Cup rugby champion because we lose the next test match. You are the World Cup rugby champion. Why? Because we are fighting from victory. We stand, we represent from victory. And, and it's exactly the same in the kingdom of God. <laughs> God so loved the world that He sent His Son to go to the war, to the battlefield for us. Be of good cheer in this lifetime. You'll be challenged, but I have overcome the world. And now when you talk about me, don't speak about your defeat or your battle. Speak about my victory. Because I, when I'm victorious, you are victorious. As He is in this world, so are we. Oh, yeah, this morning. So when you, when you see yourself in your old identity, which the enemy will tell you all the time, he brings you back to your old identity. But when you see yourself in your new Christ identity, he says your purpose now becomes what? Powerful. Now you start to give him more access. Give me a little bit of a, of a, of a push from the shore. Now launch out in the deep. Jesus, I've toiled all night. We've tried. I'm not asking if you're trying, Peter. I'm asking you to launch out in the deep. And he launches out in the deep, and the Bible says what? In the same place where there was no fish the night before, in the middle of the day, where it's not fishing time for the fishermen, Jesus uses the foolishness of this world to confound the wise. And all those naysayers on the sidelines of the shore looking, going, what is this guy up to? What, are this, what is this brother-in-law, the sister of mine, this brother of mine? This guy says he's, he's encountered Christ. This guy goes to church twice on a Sunday. Is he there a mole? But there's something in me I can't explain to you. I didn't put it there. It, just, it was given to me. It was poured into me. 
And now I'm excited about my life. I see life from a totally, totally different vantage point because I'm seeing it from the spiritual aspect, not from the natural only. Because eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor in the heart of man the things that are prepared for those that love God, but they're revealed by the Spirit. And it's not a spooky, spiritual, ooh, Casper the ghost spirit. It's just a loving, normal relationship. It's the connector, the paracletos, the, the, the Holy Spirit. I will not leave you as orphans. I'll not forsake you. I'll not leave you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. All you have to do is ask. And when you ask or when you think, I'm ready, I'm ready to do immeasurably more than you ask or think. Because I'm God and I'm a good father. Are you here this morning? And so we see what the Bible says, not only that, verse 7. They get such a big catch that the container of their boat is not only full to capacity, but it starts to exceed its limits. And so the Bible says their boat starts to sink. And the Bible says, verse 7, Luke 5, the word says, And so they signal to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. So purpose or provision in purpose is never just for you. It's to help people. So if you're not helping people and you're only trying to help yourself, that's when bribery and corruption becomes part of your life. That's when you have to do a business deal in a dark alley with a brown paper bag behind the scenes because it's all about you. But when God is in the equation, the Bible says He's going to fill your container to capacity until it overflows, and then you're going to be able to use the overflow to help others. Question, when is the last time you helped? If you're a businessman, have you ever helped somebody else start a business? Or is it just about survival in the marketplace? Change your mindset. Start to ask God to do immeasurably more through your business so I can use my business to help other people become entrepreneurs. Did you know the latest statistics, I read it two weeks ago, currently now our youth unemployment rate in South Africa is 62%. We have the highest youth unemployment rate in the world. The, the country second closest to us, 32%. 62, 32%. We are 100% more unemployed in our country, our youth, the prospects of our youth after school than any country in the world. And we sit with a wealth of business minds. And if we don't start to shift our mindsets to say, Lord, give me an idea that I can employ people through. Help me. Use my business. Use my brain. Use my mind. Use my ability to, to do business to help other people become businessmen. If you can make that one of your life goals. I'm a businessman, but I'm going to help start 100 businesses in the next 10 years. Make that a goal. And you watch how God will do immeasurably more than you can handle or think. Why? Because when you help somebody who's called to have their own business to start a business, you change the destiny of a whole family attached to that new business. Notice the Bible said when he filled the boats to overflow, they to call other people to come and help them. And when they came and helped them, even those boats were full. They both began to sink. So overflow is not going to be to one or two, three. It's to many. And when you start to shift your mindset, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. When you help other people, God says, I, okay, you have the right understanding of kingdom purpose. It's not about me giving you something so you can have it. It's about using your life as a river, not as a swamp, to help other people become something that I see in them. But I'm going to use your life for that. And if you'll put your hand up and say, I'll partner with you, Jesus, watch what happens. Great things happen. Things that you don't even realize are going to happen. Oh, yeah, this morning. Great things happen. So purposeful provision is always preceded by purposeful partnership. Notice the Bible says that when Paul writes to the church in Philippi, he starts his ministry, a church partners with the gospel. And the promise of provision is always exciting. I mean, when, I, when a pastor speaks or a preacher speaks and he goes, there's 8,810 promises in the Bible. We go, woo-hoo. And you go outside there and you go, oh, nothing's moved. It's like, okay, a week later, nothing's moved. And the the promise of provision is always exciting, and it gives us hope, and we hold on to that hope, a hope that does not fail. 
But listen to the Bible. Paul writes and he says, Philippians 4.19, And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And people jump up and they go, Yay! God is going to provide all my need. I'm okay. Yes, and that is the promise of, the, of provision and it's the hope that's in Christ. And we celebrate with that. But notice two verses, a few verses before that. Listen to from verse 10. Paul writes and he says, But I have rejoiced in the Lord greatly. That now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. So there are many people wanting to help, but they haven't got a vision or a purpose to believe in. And when you start to cast vision and purpose for something greater than yourself, the Bible says you give people opportunity to partner. And he says what? He says, not that I speak in regard to needs. I'm not a need-minded preacher. For I've learned, you have to learn whatever state I'm in to be content. He says, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Paul says, I'm not asking you, I'm not telling you about my need in my ministry because I want something from you. I want to tell you about the purpose and the cause of Christ. And if you'll partner with that, watch what God is going to do through your life. He says, I'm not asking you, I'm telling you this because I'm, I'm feeling sorry for myself. He says, I've learned whatever state I'm in. If I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, or I, I'm going, I'm sleeping in a five-star hotel and I'm flying in business class flights in this point in my life, but then I go through a different patch or a different process, I'm not going to become an unstable yo-yo Christian. Because it's not about the money. It's not about anything other than the purpose and the cause of Christ. And the Bible says when you partner with that, listen, he says, nevertheless, verse 14, you've done well that you shared in my distress. You partnered with my ministry. Now, you Philippians know that also in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. So that's why as a preacher, as a pastor, I'm unashamed to talk about receiving and giving, because it's a principle from God's Word. But if you, if you, you motivate or you manipulate people for, for natural money, or you start doing like all these crazy people in our country do, and they, I see now the latest thing is they're putting people into poiki courses and putting food in there and cooking them with the food to break curses. Huh? They say if you play an ACDC song backwards, you get devil um, worship sounds. And if you play Blessed Bridges backwards, you get a Poiki Ghost recipe. I'm told that. I don't know if that's true. That's another joke. I see something very serious this morning. Christ is our message. I preach Him. And him only. I preach Christ crucified and him only. To the Jews, a stumbling block. To the Greeks, foolishness. To the intellectuals, foolishness. Who's this guy preaching about a guy hanging on a cross? It's foolishness. Do you know who I am? I have a PhD, a PPHD, a HHPPD. I have all these things. I can titel. It's when I go to places, they part ways, I swipe cards. I'm not on a bronze status, I'm on platinum. I can platinum. I can We get there the same time as you the back, but I'm in front. I'm, in, I'm important. And I pay more for that, to get there the same time as you. When I board, I board first. So I sit 20 minutes longer than you. And I pay more for that. It's I wasn't bronze. You bronze plebs. I'm now platinum. I've worked hard. I go to business class lounges. They call me Mr. Sir. Manier. And then, in the fleeting moment of, an, of a second of life, your 
Life leaves your body. Your heart fails you. I spoke to somebody this week that I was having lunch with last week. They told me about this business they bought. I said, great. And they're going to a trip overseas. End of this year, they were selected. I said, well done. That's a great, amazing year. Yes. And, he's, and they're running for a prize and an award. And I said, great. Tell me about your company. Tell me about his company. He said, yeah, he's CEO. He said, this guy's very rich and he's wealthy and well. And they go to places. They swipe their car, 8,000 bucks. And it's just money. And it's just, they just, they just, well, they look international company, but they do a lot of business in Cape Town. He says, wealthy people. I said to him, I still said to him, I said, King David said, my feet nearly slipped out from under me when I saw the wealth of the wicked. Don't let the wealth of the worldly people intimidate you, because you've got something much richer. You have Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, I don't say you shouldn't have money. I don't say you shouldn't believe God for bigger things, but don't let those things become your God. And I still, we, this, we had, last week Friday, we had lunch, and I, he was telling me, he said, yeah, this young, I said, how old's the guy? He said, 40. He said, no, he's a mover shaker. Spoke to him yesterday. He said, Pastor, you're not going to believe it. I said, what? He said, the guy came down from the UK this week, Cape Town, booked in here. In this week, they went to wake him up in his room. Heart attack, stone dead. 40. Now I go, I don't be afraid of that. But I go, and? He stands now before something. With all his money, all his wealth, all his credit cards. I stand, if he hasn't got Christ, he stands like this. He's naked. And we have the opportunity to be in the marketplace, not to be impressed by people's money, but to represent Christ. Christ is our message. Not judgmental, but to bring hope, to bring light into a dark world, into a perverse generation. Are you here this morning? And I say this to us today, because if you believe in God for overflow, just to have stuff, it's a very shallow revelation of what overflow is. Overflow is from a generous heart. It's a heart to change. And Paul writes and he says, I don't speak this because of the money. I speak from a generous spirit. Listen in closing this morning. Listen to what the Bible says. So the Bible says this. Conclude quickly. He says, nevertheless, he says, you've done well. You've shared in my distress, verse 14. Now you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Verse 16. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessity. He says, you kept on being generous. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. I'm not talking about the stuff you send me. I'm talking about the blessing that God is going to return to you. Verse 18, indeed I have all and I abound. I'm full, having received from Epaphroditus the things you sent for me, a sweet smelling aroma and an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. So he says, thank you. I'm so grateful for what you're doing for my ministry. Then verse 19, listen to what he goes on to say. And now, because of your partnership with the gospel, he says, and now, my God will supply. What does he say? He says, I'm going to hand you over to heaven's supply. I mean, isn't it amazing when people say, yeah, I was handed over for bad debt. I was hand they came and took my car and they came and took my house. But Paul says, I'm not going to hand you over for God's judgment. I'm going to hand you over for heaven's supply. And I say to you this morning that when you start to partner with the gospel, guess what happens? You get handed over for heaven to start participating in your life. And it's a, it's a, it's a crazy place because what happens is suddenly there's things that you're going to be given and access and and, and, and containers that are full to overflow without you doing anything. Why? Because you did your initial part. You said, I'm going to partner with the gospel. I'm going to give my life to Christ. And so the Bible says what? Now my God shall supply. Listen to this in closing. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, another church. He planted in Philippi, he plants a church in Corinth. This is what he says in verse uh, 8 of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, yes, God is more than ready to overwhelm you with every form of grace so that you will have more than enough of everything, listen, every moment and in every way and he will make you overflow there it is with abundance in every good thing you do so there's the promise isn't that amazing yes 
God's going to overwhelm me with His goodness. We're going to overflow. Yay, Jesus, amen. I'm born again. I'm excited. But let's look at the partnership that precedes it. Because purposeful provision is always preceded by purposeful partnership. Give me your boat, then I'll fill it. Not fill my boat and then I'll give you fish. No, give me your boat. That's what the Bible says in verse 6. Two Corinthians, same chapter, two verses before. He says, now here's my point. A stingy sower will reap a meager harvest. But the one who sows from a generous spirit will reap an abundant, overflowing harvest. He says, let giving flow from your heart, not from a sense of religious duty. Let it spring up freely from the joy of giving, all because God loves hilarious generosity. Paul writes and he says, he says, let your giving come from a generous spirit. Jesus called it, he said, a good man from the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, but an evil man from the evil treasure brings forth evil things. So when your treasure, which is the connector between what comes forth and where you are, your identity, a good man, you can't be good outside of being in Christ, because God is the only one that's good. And when we're in Christ, we become good with Him. But when you have a good treasure, when your treasure is open, because an open heart will lead to an open hand. A shut heart leads to a shut hand. And when God's heart was open to humanity, His hand opened and He sent us Christ. The Bible says, everyone think changed. A ministry of reconciliation. So He says this, He says, let giving flow from your heart and not from a sense of religious duty. We're doing a message soon about how the gospel activates generosity. Not money. Don't associate giving with money. One of the aspects of giving would be money, but that's not what it's about. It never is it about money. It's always about the condition of your heart. And God comes and He takes your heart of stone and He gives you a heart of flesh. And even sometimes if you don't understand by the Spirit what I'm saying, you're going to discern what I'm saying by your mental intellect. And very often it offends people. That's why money is such a controversial topic in churches because people, people try to work it out in the, in the intellect. Help, rent and cent, debit, credit, wins, loss, currency. They, they try and work it out. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm speaking about living life from a generous heart. And if God says A and your heart witnesses with that A and you do it, it's, you're living life now from a generous disposition. No one has to force you. No one's ever forced me to give money. No one's ever forced me to give my time. It's because Christ is in me, and I'm now trying to understand the unsearchable riches that are in Him. And when I look at His life, He's the most generous God, the most generous Savior I've ever seen. For He says, unless the seed falls in the ground and dies, it remains alone. For God so loved the world that He gave. And so when Christ enters the equation, I was the stingiest guy on the planet. I was a literal thief. I used to steal things when I was... Uh, when we needed alcohol, I would steal things from the church. I told you earlier, I was a thief. And the Bible says the thief comes only but to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy will use your life for, for corruption, for fraud, for all kinds of things. Why? Because you're living a life with a shut spirit because you don't know the one who is life. The Bible says in the minute Christ enters the equation, I started this journey of un throwing out all these stingy little aspects of my understanding. And today I still, I'm a lot more generous than what I was when I was younger. But I still trust God and that God will continue the good work in me. I tell people as well, I wish I could have a car like that. Why don't you change your prayer and say, I wish I could buy someone a car like that from your overflow. I wish I could have a business. Why don't you say, I, I, I wish that I could start someone to have a business like that. Are you here this morning? We're talking about overflow, preparing ourselves for overflow. It flows from the heart. 
And what the heart is full of, the Bible says, flows out the mouth. The abundance, the overflow of the heart speaks out of the mouth. I can't. Now you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I don't know how I'm able. I know now to him who is able. I'm not sure I can. He can. You have to start to change, and that takes time. That takes time in the Word. That takes time spending time with Him, speaking to Him in the cool of the day. But you're not a God. You're not serving a God who is distant. You're not serving a God who is angry with you. You're serving a God who is your Father. And what He wants to do is it pleases the Father. If you and I, being evil, know how to give our children good gifts, how much more won't our Heavenly Father give us the promise of the Spirit and good things? Thank you for listening to this powerful message. If your life was impacted in any way and you would want to connect to any of our CRC churches worldwide, then please go visit our website at crccapetown.co.za and click on the Plan a Visit tab. Thank you for listening.